technology working here tonight. And uh, if you remember anything from Psalm 88, it is considered the uh, most discouraging psalm in the in the Psalms. Uh, how he prays for deliverance and uh, doesn't hear from the Lord. But eight, Psalm 89 is uh, really exactly the opposite. It is a psalm that is focused on God's faithfulness, on the fact that God made a covenant and God kept that covenant even when man wasn't faithful, even when the nation of Israel wasn't faithful. And it ties into King David and his lineage about how that um, this would have been most likely written probably during the reign of King David. And so we don't know if it would have been written after events like some of the great sins that he committed or not. But it's just this reminder and reflection that even when we are not faithful, God is faithful. Even when we are not trustworthy, God is trustworthy. And so it's just really a, a special psalm to be reminded of, I think, in our daily lives, in, in our church, and in our nation. And especially as we look how God treated the Jewish people, uh, we know that he corrected them from time to time, but yet never disowned them as his people. Even though King David's lineage goes on to, <clears throat> to be wicked and sinful and unfaithful, God still brings Jesus, the Messiah, the promised one, right? The king that will sit on his throne forever. And so now, just as I was preparing this week, and it's been a crazy busy week, and so uh, it's one over the last month that I haven't... Uh, Psalm 88 just consumed me, to be honest with you. I studied it more than I, than I probably have ever studied a psalm just because it was just so fascinating because it's one of the few times that a psalm doesn't go from discouraged to answer to, to calling out to God to to seeing some kind of deliverance and so I just really I really was spending a lot of time on that and I probably should have been spending more time on Psalm 89 that is meant to give us hope and trust in the Lord and so uh, the individual that wrote this was considered a very wise person um, but yet um, uh, it's just a beautiful, beautiful text. And so if you're taking notes tonight, um, we see here in verse 1 and 2 that the writer is just praising God for his faithfulness. It starts in verse 1 and says, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. With my mouth will I make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I have said, mercy shall be built up forever. Your faithfulness you shall establish in the very heavens. When you and I think about the heavens, when we think about creation, I think it should cause us to think of a, uh, a permanence, right? When we think about the moon, right, it's just, it's there, and it's, it's been there, right? If you were to ask your great-great-grandparents, has the moon been there? Well, yeah, all the moon's there. The stars are there. And so uh, it just really, it's this idea teaching here that just God's mercies um, are like the Bible says, anew every day. That we see here that my mouth will make known not of our faithfulness but of God's faithfulness. And that's why I think it's so important that when we do testimony times and uh, I've been the first one to say that, that unless the Lord makes me open the floor for testimonies I'm like, ain't gonna happen. 
Because I, I've been in enough services where the testimonies go from, from giving him glory to being about self. And that's not what we're called to do. We are not called to declare our goodness. We're, we're not to declare our works. When we are talking about the things of God, we are to be declaring his faithfulness. The fact that he loved us. The fact that he died for us. The fact that even though I do not deserve the love of God, I couldn't earn the love of God, that God loved me. And so that's like the Bible teaches, right? That Christ died for the ungodly. And so I just really want us to start with that tonight because I think many times the reason that we have trouble in our walk with God is we forget who he is. And we begin to think about who we are. And so when you have problems in your marriage, it's usually because we are worried about the problems of our spouse or the things they have done instead of how faithful God was to give them to us. As a church, when we start having problems and we start looking at all the faults in one another, it's because we have forgotten that it's God's church. He is the one who builds the church. And so the many blessings that we have we are to make known to them God's faithfulness. As a parent, it's my job to teach my children what God has done and who God is. It's not the government's job. It is the church's job to help me. But the job of teaching my children who God is falls squarely in the home. And so it's my responsibility to sing and praise the faithfulness of God. Look what it says here in verse 2. For I have said, mercy shall be built up. Forever, As a child of God, God does not say, I'll be merciful to you today, but I might take that mercy away tomorrow, right? Once God saves you by grace, um, we believe that you are saved, that God has secured you, that if you could lose your salvation, you would lose it, right? If you could have earned your salvation, you could have lost it. But we don't believe that. We believe that God's mercy and faithfulness is based on who he is. And so tonight, I really want you to think about that in your, in your life and in your walk with God, that you and I are called to praise Him because of His faithfulness. Can you think of a time in your life when you were not faithful, but yet God was faithful? I think of about 10 years of my life where I wanted nothing to do with God, from about the age of... Uh, uh, well, no, about seven years. Now, about, what's, what's 22 minus 17? Five. Five years. Okay. About five years, I wanted nothing to do about the things of God. But yet, God continued to convict me, even when I was running from Him. God continued to remind me. God continued to send people into my life to encourage me and to correct me. Why? Not because I was faithful, but because He was faithful. And I was His child. And the Bible says that that uh, God does what to his children, to those that he loves? Chastens. Chastens them, corrects them. And so when I talk about my walk with God, it's not because of me, it's because of him. It's what he has done for me. And so I hope tonight that when you think about maybe a decision you've made in your marriage, a decision you've made uh, since you've been saved, and it wasn't uh, a decision that honored God, but yet God was merciful to you and gracious to you, that you'll praise him for that. Defining our relationship with God has become not a thing according to his word, but it's what I feel. 
right? I just don't feel like that's for me as a Christian. Well, it doesn't matter if you feel like it is or not. If the Bible says that it is, it is, right? One of the yeah, imputed righteousness is, is, a, is, a, is a teaching that we don't hear very much, right? That salvation, his righteousness is imputed to us. <laughs> and right on the cross, our sin uh, was punishment was taken by him and so there's nothing good in me right the bible says our righteousness is as filthy rags and so just remember that 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 who defines you is the god that is in you right uh, who i am is who god is in me because we see here that he praises god for his faithfulness but he also said, shows us here that there's a promise of god's faithfulness I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn to my servant David, your seed I will establish forever and build upon your throne to all generations. He just tells David that, uh, that I, God, I chose you. You didn't choose me, David, that you are my servant and I will establish your offspring um, forever. And I think this is important because... Um, all of us can go through seasons of faithfulness, right? We can have we can be faithful to our church for a while, and then something happens, and we're not faithful. We can be a faithful friend, but yet the right circumstance comes up, and we're not faithful. We can be a faithful employee for a while. Something happens at work. I'm not a faithful employee. But the promise here by God is, is I'm going to be faithful to all generations. That means to all generations, he will be faithful. So what he's saying is, I will be faithful forever. Um, when I invest my money in Fidelity or I have it in my savings account at People National Bank, I don't want them to be faithful 11 months of the year. I want them to be faithful 12 months of the year. I don't want them to call one day and say, Jake, every January we're just going to we're not going to worry about who has access to your account. Whoever wants to spend your money can spend your money. And I'd say, well, they can't go very far, but have at it, I guess. No, it's, it's, it's federally insured, right, up to $250,000. They're going to, to cover if something happens. It's a guarantee. And I expect that guarantee to be all the time. You probably, if you do any banking at all, you've seen the 24-hour banking, right? You can get on and look at your account anytime you want, any hour of the day, and so that you can know what's going on with that. Well, most of us don't have our banking app open every moment of the day <coughs> watching to make sure that our money doesn't go missing because we have some level of trust in whatever bank that we use. And so, but if once a year you started missing $5,000, out of your account every year, you would start thinking, probably after the first time, right? Something's not right here. And if they called and said, don't worry about it, it happens once in a while. What would you say if the bank called and said, hey, we lost five grand. I hope it's not a big deal to you. You say, I'm taking my money somewhere else. But yet God wants to remind us here that his faithfulness was to David forever. And thankfully, because of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross, we do have a king who is forever. We have that offspring who was before David, the Bible says, right? Christ has always been. And I think it's reassuring because if my salvation is based upon him, I want him to be forever. I don't want this ideal that, well, God can save me for a little while, but he can't save me completely. No, he can blame me. He can save me completely and 
eternally. And so he's just making sure that we know that there is a promise of faithfulness. Uh, when I got married to my wife, I, uh, we always said our vows, and I can't remember what they are at the moment. I know that's terrible for a preacher not to know the wedding vows, but, um, you know, for sickness and hell, you know, till what's the last line of that? Until yeah. death to his part. Okay, you guys have been at a wedding too. Okay, right? That's, that's the goal. Now, it doesn't always happen that way. But the goal is what? Until death parts us, we're together. Right? And so that's, that's the goal. That's the commitment. But yet, as fallen sinful people, we don't always do that. But God says, I'm faithful to the end. I'm faithful to the end. And so I hope tonight that you will be able to really focus in on your relationship with the Lord because he wants you to know that. Um, in verses 5 through 18, we're going to take big chunks tonight because there's a lot of verses to get through. And, and uh, I ate too much. So, but, uh, but we see that God's faithfulness is perfect. That God's faithfulness is perfect. Um, it says there in verse 5, And the heavens will praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness also in the assembly of saints. So it's not just to David, it's to the people of God. For who in the heavens can be compared to the Lord? Who among the sons of the mighty can be likened to the Lord? God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be held in reverence by all those around him. O Lord God of hosts, who is mighty like you, O Lord? Your faithfulness also surrounds you. Your rule, you rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. You have broken Rahab in pieces as one who is slain. You have scattered your enemies with your mighty arm. The heavens are yours, and the earth also is yours. The world and all its fullness you have found in them. The north and the south, you have created them. Tabor and Hermon rejoice in your name. You have a mighty arm. Strong is your hand and high is your right hand. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Mercy and truth go before your face. Blessed are the people who know the joyful sound. They walk, O Lord, in the light of your countenance. In your name they rejoice all day long. In your righteousness they are exalted. For you are the glory of their strength. And in your favor our horn is exalted. For your shield belongs to the Lord. And our king to the Holy One of Israel. How many of you have ever been at a graduation or some kind of an event where they introduce a speaker? Right? Uh, I can think of... Uh, at the school, when they have graduation, they always have a keynote speaker, right? And they usually don't walk up by saying, well, this man has been unfaithful to his wife four times. He went through bankruptcy twice. He's not a real good father. Uh, he's a terrible driver. No, they don't, they don't say anything negative, right? It's all so-and-so graduated first in his class. Went to Carbondale and finished first in his class. He won 17 awards, right? He, he created 32 new inventions. And, right, he's been married to his wife for 45 years. And he's successful, right? They, they do all these qualities, right? All of these accomplishments. And what verses 5 through 18 
really is, is just the psalmist saying, God, you're perfect in every way. You are perfect in every way, whether it is in creation. And I know I say this all the time, and I hear, I get more flack from, from, from preachers than this than probably anything sometimes. It is my strong belief in creation um, that the Bible teaches that God created the earth in six literal days. Um, it, I believe the earth is thousands of years, not millions of years. And I do not apologize for that. All major doctrines in the whole Bible start in the book of Genesis. Um, when Genesis falls, the Bible falls. And um, it's just you can't have it any other way. Uh, do I believe that you have to push your faith in Genesis to go to heaven? No. I believe that there is one way to go to heaven, and that is to repent of your sins and call upon the name of the Lord uh, as your Lord and Savior. But I believe that the entire Christian faith collapses when you contradict Genesis. Because when you contradict Genesis, then you contradict all of Scripture. And when you contradict all of Scripture, then we have nothing to stand upon. I had this discussion last night in my online reading group, and the individual said, the Bible is full of contradictions. And I said, the only thing that the Bible is full of is truth. Uh, the problem of the contradictions is on our end. And uh, he said, I just don't agree with you. And so I recommended him to books like um, Lee Strobel's Case for Christ, uh, W.A. Criswell, Why I Preach the Bible is Literally True. Uh, I recommended to him Ken Ham's Answers in Genesis Ministry. He said, I don't like that guy. The other two, he didn't know. I said, why don't you like that guy? He said, well, one, he hates homosexuals. And two, he's a fanatic. And I said, well, one, he doesn't hate the first group of people. He just believes in sin. He believes that all sin has consequences. And two, he's not a fanatic. He's just a person who believes what the Bible says. And it was, it was really stuck with me that to believe what the Bible says is to be fanatical. Now, this person is 21 years old. Uh, he goes to one of the liberalist colleges in America. He was raised in a liberal denomination, and, um, and it was a good conversation. It ended up with him blocking me, and I have a feeling we won't. It went well. It went well for a while, and it wasn't mean. It wasn't cruel. I'm not one of those people that gets on the Internet and, and beats up on other Christians or non-Christians either. I deleted my Facebook account this week again because I, anyway, I won't even go into it, but it made me sick how Christians treat other Christian Christians online. And so I thought it's best for Jake just to step away and keep my integrity because, you know, I don't want someone to screenshot me and chew it out a bunch of people. But it almost happened. But it starts there by creation, right? God, you have made the heavens and, and you have done all of these things. It goes on and says, uh, the sea, I and mean, you think about the power of the ocean and, and the fact that God controls it. The Bible says that God tells the ocean it can come so far. That, that's as far as it can come. God, God sets those boundaries. He talks about um, enemy nations, that God has broken them, that God has, that God has destroyed them. But then he also talks about how that should encourage us, how we should praise God, because we have a perfect God. We don't have a, a God who is sinful. That's why I think we have to be very careful not to put our faith in a pastor or our faith in a political leader or our faith in a church because we are sinners. <laughs> uh, no matter how much you love your Sunday school teacher, no matter how much you love your pastor, they are deceitfully wicked. <laughs> and it is by the grace of God that they are producing good fruit. 
And so I just really want you to hear this tonight because I, I hope that you will take some time when you can study this verse by verse and just look at the awesomeness of who God is. And when we see how powerful God is, how perfect God is, we know that he has a perfect and powerful plan that we have to trust. You see, I, um, I don't work out. It's, it's a given fact, right? Um, but somebody I was talking to this week said there was a bunch of high school kids working out. And um, they couldn't lift a certain amount of weight, and he had been working out. So you know what he did, right? He just walked off and let the high schoolers struggle. No, he, he got down there and what? Showed them up, right? And he wanted to show them that he had exercise, that he had built muscle. And so many times um, we limit who God is. Now, I'm not saying that God does whatever you want. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that God is able to do what he wants, right? If God chooses to, to move and work, he can. If God chooses to pour out his judgment, he can. If God chooses to respond and, and save my children, he can. God can. And it's just a reminder here of who he is and that we're not trusting in, in earthly things. We're not trusting in fallen things. We're trusting in the great I am, the alpha and the omega. And so the, the bigger your view of God is, I think the easier it is to trust him. Right? I, uh, how many of you have ever went across an old rickety bridge? Right? Um, I'm trying to think of the bridge. Um, when you were leaving Illinois, that so the joke was working and went across the moment. yeah, uh, yeah. I was like, eh. right. You go across that new bridge in St. Louis, or on the north side. That is one big fancy bridge. I, I don't worry about that at all. I've never heard anybody say, "Well, I don't hope we don't miss meet a semi on this bridge." Right? Uh, you went across that other one, and it was like, "I hope we don't meet a tractor or a, a bicycle or anything on this bridge." Right? It might not hold two of us at one time. We were questioning its power and its integrity and its structure. But when it comes to God, I don't have to worry about my situation. God is able. And so I just really want you to hear that. So as you face the difficulties and trials of your life, you're not trusting in your ability. You're not trusting in the ability of your pastor. You're not trusting in the ability of your church. You're trusting in who he is. <coughs> Thoughts. What is one occasion in your life, and I know you've got lots, that, that God just really showed you who he was? It could be a difficult time. It could be a... Well, starting in verse 19, um, we, we see that God pledges to be faithful. You see, in a, in a wedding ceremony, we pledge to be faithful. And that means something. At least, it's supposed to mean something. But when God pledges something, the God who cannot lie, the God who is all-powerful, the God who is true. It, it, it should really cause us to step back and, and listen. And so it says here in verse 19, Then you spoke in a vision to your whole said, I have given help to one who is mighty. I have exalted one chosen from the people. I have found my servant David. With my holy oil I have anointed him, with whom my hand shall be established. Also my arm shall strengthen him. Now, just pay attention to this verse. God says he established him. He says he strengthened him. 
In verse 22, the enemy shall not outwit him, nor the son of wickedness afflict him. I will beat down his foes before his face and plague those who hate him. But my merciful and my mercy shall be with him. And in my name his horn shall be exalted. And I will set his hand over the sea and his right hand over the rivers. He shall cry to me, You are my Father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. And also I will make him my firstborn, the highest of the kings of earth. My mercy I will keep for him forever, and my covenant shall stand firm with him. His seed also I will make to endure forever, <clears throat> and his throne <clears throat> as the days of heaven. If his sons forsake my law and do not walk in my judgments, if they break my statutes and do not keep my commandments, then I will punish their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. Nevertheless, my loving kindness I will not utterly take from him, nor allow my faithfulness to fail. My covenant I will not break nor alter the word of his gone out of his mouth, lips. Once I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. He shall, his seed shall endure forever in his throne as the sun before me. It will be established forever like the moon, even like the faithful witness in the sky. Now, there are some things in this passage of Scripture that there is no way that can be attributed to an earthly king only, an earthly offspring over. And so we see here that, that really he is talking about his faithfulness to David, but he is telling us that that faithfulness is really going to be fulfilled in who? Jesus Christ, right? You just listen to these things and the, the highest of the kings of earth. Uh, the covenant shall stand firm. Uh, his seed also I will make to endure forever as the days of heaven. And so I really think this is important because as amazing as King David was, right? A man after God's own heart. How uh, God used him in a mighty way in the kingdom of Israel. Um, but truly, David was just a man. And no matter how godly we think we are, or no matter how God uses us, truly our worth and fulfillment is based upon Jesus Christ. And so my salvation, uh, I am not the author and finisher of my faith. The Bible says, who is the author and finisher of my faith? Yeah. Who is the one? who forgives me for my sins. It's not, it's not me, it's, it's Christ, right? He is the one who took my punishment. He is the one who took my shame. And so if you look at this from an earthly standpoint, God is making a, a faithful promise to King David that I am not going to forsake you. Verse 33 there is probably one of my favorites um, because it says, Nevertheless, so he's talking about the wickedness of the offspring. So he's not talking about the wickedness of Jesus because Jesus was perfect. He's talking about the wickedness of these earthly kings. He says, nevertheless, my loving kindness I will not utterly take from him. I mean, the most hopeless thing in the world is not, is not living. <laughs> it is dying apart from Christ. The Bible teaches us that to die apart from Christ is what? It's eternal. 
it's not changeable. You can't serve, uh, and I know it's, it's meant to be funny, but it's not. Uh, someone standing before the gate of heaven and they will say, uh, yes, you have to go to hell, but you lived in Illinois, so we will consider that time served. Right, you might have seen that. And it is, it is politically, you know, I understand, but it's not. <laughs> High taxes compares nothing to utter darkness. Right? Listening to JB is nothing like listening to the, to the screams and utterance, utterance of, of people for all eternity. I mean, it's not the same. And so true hopelessness is when God says, depart from me, I never knew you. And we all deserve that, right? We, we never want to get over that fact that none of us deserve to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. It is the grace of God. But truly we see here that God says, I will not utterly take hope from him. God says, I'm always going to have a remnant. I'm always going to be saving people. I'm always going to be faithful to my covenant. God says that. Not Jacob Gray, uh, not a, a political leader. That's probably why I hate politics so much. Because they all promise you something, right? And the moment they get there, they what? They forget about it. You promise not to raise taxes. They get, get in office, what's the first thing they do? Raise taxes, right? Well, I promise I, I won't do this or I won't do that. And they, they get elected and they, they break those promises. Maybe you've been promised, uh, huh? And then they had the nerve to call the one hollow call. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's it's it's awful, and so when you think about, but you think about this, you you've probably had that. You've had probably people say that, you know, I'll make this promise to do this, or I promise to do that, and they they don't keep that promise, right? Uh, the Bible says that we should not swear because why? We can't control tomorrow. Let your yes be yes, and your no be no. Uh, sometimes things happen out of our control. Um, uh, coronavirus has shut down everything for months. And so I know as a church we had lots of things planned, lots of things we wanted to do, but this couldn't get done. Uh, it's kind of like a farmer who wants to put out a crop and it doesn't stop raining. You're kind of out of control there, right? You just, you're at the mercy of the weather. You're, you're really just trusting when God does what he does. And so I, just, I think it's very important to, to, to remember that, that this is a pledge that God makes. It's not a pledge of a religious leader. It's not a pledge of, of someone who can change their mind. It, it is the pledge of God who makes the statement to you and I. And so when you are going through the um, shaky circumstances of life, uh, you need to be reminded that, that our hope, our foundation is built on Him. He is the rock of our salvation. And so as we go on through verse excuse me, 38, um, almost down to the end. It says, But you have cast off and abhorred. You have been furious with your anointed. You have renounced the covenant of your servant. You have profaned his crown by casting it to the ground. <clears throat> you have broken down all his hedges. You have brought his strongholds to ruin. All who pass by the way plunder him. He is a reproach to his neighbors. 
You have exalted the right hand of his adversaries. You have made all his enemies rejoice. You have also turned back the edge of his sword, and you have not sustained him in battle. And you have made his glory cease and cast this down, thrown down to the ground, and the days of his youth you have shortened. You have covered him with shame, Salah. How long, Lord, will you hide yourself forever? Will your wrath burn like fire? Remember how short my time is. For what futility have you created all the children of men? What can live and not see death? Can he deliver his power, his life from the power of the grave? So he really makes a charge against God. He says, um, Lord, you made this promise. You pledged this promise. It's, we're praising you for the promise. It's supposed to be a perfect promise, but things aren't working out right now the way we thought they would. And so many people believe that this psalm would have been written right about the time of Absalom's rebellion, right? King David has ran out of town. Uh, his son uh, mocks him by, by publicly sleeping with all of his concubines, and, and, uh, and David is, is run out of town, and it looks like it's the end, right? Someone else sits on the throne. Uh, the kingdom looks in shamble. It, it's been torn in part. And so uh, you see there, like it talks about you have broken down all the hedges. Jerusalem was this walled city. It, it, was, it was supposed to be um, the, the pinnacle of, of military um, defenses. It was up in a hill, and you can look at the geography of it, all these things. But it says what, God, you have done this. And he's blaming God for the adversities that they're facing. And that's just how we are. <laughs> that is just who people are. When, when God brings correction to us, or God allows difficulties to come, it's all God's fault. We didn't have a hand in that. We didn't live unrighteously. Or God couldn't be trying to teach us something. Um, but, but he says here, he, he just flat puts it on God and says, you've broken your promise. You've not sustained us. You've not cared for us. Um, and in verse 42, I think it's interesting because he was talking about the right hand of God earlier. You've exalted the right hand of your adversaries. He's even saying, God, you have gave them the victories that they have faced over us. I mean, that's, that's a bold statement. It is. Yeah, absolutely. And so we've seen that right throughout the history of the nation of Israel, right? That God allowed them to fall in battle, to be taken into captivity. And so it doesn't matter what the severity is, whether it is the Absalom rebellion, whether you apply it to the rebellion uh, later, to the two um, times that Israel was carried off, um, it's always, why God, right? It's never, Lord, evaluate me. What could we have done, right? Why, what could you be trying to teach us? It's, it's your fault. And I think this is a dangerous thing for us to do because the Bible says that God is good <laughs> and that he knows what he's doing and that whatever he allows, the Bible says that all things work to what? To the good for those that are called according to his purposes, right? But yet in the middle of tragedy, it's easy to say, how did you let this happen? When, when people, 
And I think this is the one I have, I have the, the hardest time with. This just is my, my biggest struggle. I want God to vindicate me all the time. <laughs> immediately. I don't want anybody to be able to say anything about me that God doesn't squash immediately. I'm a people person. I, I like people. I like going to the hospital every day. I like going to the nursing home, which I got to go to the hospital today. I can't go to the nursing homes, but uh, I love people. And I'll be honest with you, I can love the opinions of people, right? I mean, no one walks into the store and be like, I hope everybody here hates me, right? I mean, we, we want that. And even though we shouldn't want it more than God, it's easy to want that. And so when I walk up to someone in public and they will not speak to me and, and walk by me, I think, Lord, if you would just, just like that. that that's something I struggle with. And, and so it's easy for me to say, Lord, won't you just deal with this? Why don't you just correct this? Maybe tonight for you it's something totally different. Maybe it's a, a physical struggle. Maybe you've been praying for God to heal or to work in your life and He hasn't. Maybe you've been praying for a lost family member and you, you truly want them to be saved and it doesn't seem like God is answering. And it could be multiple other issues. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. But remember this. When it seems like God is not faithful, He still is. When God seems to be silent, He is not still. God is still working no matter what the circumstances may look like. And there in verse 46... I think this is a question that all of us can relate to. How long, right? I refuse to go on vacation with my family. Now, I know what you're saying, Jake. That's a terrible decision. You're going to regret that. But how many times can a person hear, are we there yet? Because it's not one kid that's asking it. It's not two kids that's asking it. It's not three kids that is asking. It's not four kids that are asking. It is five kids and the six kids crying, all right? That is the trips that we have. And then I'm sitting in the passenger seat going, are we almost there yet? Because this is worse for me than it is for them. And you all say, Jake, you'll treasure those memories someday. Whatever, all right? I'm, I'm trusting in the promises of the Lord because I'm not seeing it, all right? And so the idea, my wife's like, let's go to Florida. It'll be great. You never use your vacation at church anyway. Let's go. I'm going 13 hours. 13 hours of, I got to go to the bathroom. I want the phone. I'm hot. I'm cold. I'm hungry. Are we there yet? Sounds like a blessing to me. I said, I'll follow you in another vehicle. Huh? I'm not holding back. I'm just telling you the truth. Yeah. It's just Kathy. Yeah. What you see is what you get. Like I told someone today, I'm grumpy on Sunday. I'm grumpy through the week, right? And I know that sounds awful. I know it. So I'm like, why don't we just vacation here in our house? We'll just stay home, not go anywhere. And then she says, because you won't stay home. And so we have to leave for you. But anyway, so two years ago, a family in church uh, uh, gave us a, th a three-day timeshare in somewhere, and I can't remember what it was now. Gatlinburg, and so that wasn't as bad, right? But I can remember going through them windy hills, right? 
and uh, wherever we were, and all they were doing was, are we there yet? Are we there yet? And all I kept thinking, Lord, now would be the perfect time for the rapture, right now. But how long is something I think all of us struggle with? I know in my own life I have pit members in my family that I'm praying for, and I, and I ask God that sometimes, not rightfully so, but Lord, how long before you're going to work in their life? Or Lord, when, when it seems like the enemy is winning in your marriage, or it, it's easy to say, how long? How long? And so tonight I just want to challenge you, though, that, that God is still at work. And listen to what it finishes in 49 through 52, and then I'll open the floor for discussion again. But it says, Lord, where are your former loving kindnesses, which you swore to David in your truth? Remember, Lord, the reproach of your servants, how I bear in my bosom the reproach of all the many peoples with which your enemies have reproached, O Lord, which with they have reproached the footsteps of your anointed. And he finishes up with this, God, remember us. But listen how 52, verse 52 finishes. Blessed be the Lord forevermore. Amen and amen. Even though he has this struggle with God, he makes this accusation against God. When it all comes down to it, he says, blessed be the Lord. Blessed be the Lord. Uh, there was a song, and I'm having a senior moment here, right? Um, but I don't want to sing it, okay? I, that's, that's not a pretty picture for anyone, but it was blessed be the name of the Lord, right? And it was a wonderful song, right? Blessed be the name of the... And you know, you've heard the song. Has everybody, does everybody know the song? Yeah, okay, yes. I don't have to sing it. You know it, right? And uh, it, it, it's just, it really is the truth, right? In, in the valleys of life, we are to praise Him. In, in, on the mountaintops, we're to praise Him. The McCamey sang one of my favorite songs. He's the God of the mountain and he's the God of the valley. He's the God of the good times. He's the God of the bad times. And, and truly, wherever you're at in your life, I have no idea. I have no idea what you're struggling with, what you're, what you're going through, but God wants you to praise Him. And He wants you to trust Him. And He wants you to know that He is faithful to His promises. He is faithful because He is perfect. And so tonight, I really hope that that you will be able to rest not in the promises of Jacob Gray, not in the promises of Ten Mile Baptist Church, but in the promises and faithfulness of who God is. And the more you grow in your understanding and love for who He is, the more it will transform your life. If you don't trust someone, you don't rely on them, right? Um, I, I have an extreme problem letting my... So I, my kids drive me nuts, okay? But I also don't like leaving my kids with anybody, pretty much, right? My mom is the, pretty much the only person that watches our kids. Now, other people have watched them from time to time, but for the most part, there's one person on this planet that watches my kids. Why? Because, you know, if we mess up my kids, it's okay, right? The rest of the world messes them up, it bothers me. But I trust my mom, right? She raised me. She didn't let me put my fingers in light sockets, right? All right? She didn't let me eat Clorox bleach, okay? She did a good job of keeping me well, okay? And so I know that since she took care of me, she is going to take care of them. And we're living in a day and age now where you have no idea what happens to your kids 
and, and you can't trust anybody. I know that sounds awful, but we've seen so many things in the old world that you just can't. And so I have no problem leaving them there. And she might say she gets them too much maybe, but that's the person. On Monday night she gets some, uh, uh, the other night she gets, why? Because that's who I trust. Now it's no offense to the rest of you. I love you all in Jesus, but they're my kids. And so I'm going to leave them with the person who I trust the most. And so I don't go to Walmart and, and have a secret camera at my mom and dad's house. Right? This would be less awkward if she wasn't in here. But anyway, it is what it is, right? There's not a camera there like a nanny cam trying to find out if she's misbehaving with my children, right? You've seen it sometimes where, where people will record their kids when they're gone and, and the babysitter, you know, is anyway. And so I trust her so I can rely on her. And the more you will grow to know who God is, you will trust him more. And when you trust him more, you will rely on him more. You see, God is fighting your battles for you, whether or not you understand it. You need to rest knowing that he is fighting for you. See, that's our problem. Even if we are not trusting God, he is still the one in charge. And so I trust that God knows what he's doing. It's like in an airplane. I've flown a couple times, and I didn't go up to the pilot and say, can you tell me when you graduated from pilot school? If there is a pilot school, I don't know. How many flights have you successfully flew? And he would say, all of them, right? Um, uh, you know, yeah, are, we, are we there yet? Right? I, I, don't, I don't ask those things, right? I don't go to the mechanic and say, how many times has this been expected? I just trust that the, the uh, F, F, FAA? FAA. FFA is the farm thing, right? Yeah, uh, the FAA has done what is necessary for me to fly safely. And so I got on the plane, wasn't worried. We went there and back, no problem. And so if God truly is in charge, I need to trust and rest in Him. See, a lack of resting in Him robs us of our joy. It robs us of our peace. It robs us of our ability to rejoice in who He is. And this psalm just reminds us that He has it in control that he's going to be faithful to his promises, and he's going to be faithful to you. And so uh, questions and discussions.